friend, it's Kathleen Estes. Welcome to the Texas Football Mom Podcast, a show where we'll chat with some amazing guests about faith, family, and of course, football. I love to laugh. And so when I meet people that make me laugh, whether it's because they're funny or they make me nervous, um, I enjoy that. And my guest today actually does both. Make you nervous? <laughs> yes, you do make me nervous. Get out. <laughs> in that I never quite know what you're going to say. Oh, okay. Yes, yes, in that way. Um, but welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jimmy Myers. Thank you very much. It is it's so exciting. Thank you for taking time Surely. to chat with all of us today. Mm-hmm. You and I, about a month ago, had a conversation in between um, a couple of services actually at church, and the topic came up about teenagers and porn. Yeah. And I'm British. I don't know if you knew that or not, but so I'm already a little bit of a prude in talking about certain Hello. subjects. But this is Can definitely one of the. Can I do a British them. accent throughout the entire interview? Um, sure. <laughs> If you can. I'm sure you could, actually. Um, But raising boys Mm -hmm. in our culture today, it's definitely something that is a topic that I can't avoid as a mom. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm curious, uh, at what age do you feel like parents are needing to start having these conversations with their kids? Yeah. Um, Well... To uh, quote the great Bob Dylan. Oh, okay. Um, the times they are a changing. Well, yeah. actually, they've already a changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it used to be you. What was it? Ninth grade. You had health class. I remember that. And that's when you got the birds and the bees talk. Mm-hmm. Um, now we have. Um, oh, and back then, pornography was. Playboy, which would be like a Sunday school quarterly today, um, or penthouse or something. And so, you know, okay, oh, I got my penthouse magazine in. There's 40 or 50 photographs. Uh, Now I can't wait another month until I get another 40 or 50 photographs. Mm. And with the advent of high-speed internet, um, kids are able to watch or at least be exposed to 50 uh, videos, hardcore videos, within the first minute to four or five minutes that they're online. Wow. So it's so much more. You know, they always say that uh, the marijuana that was smoked back in the day, not by me. Of course not. Well, I mean, what I didn't inhale. (laughs) Right. The the weed today is so much more potent than it was back then. And it's kind of the same way with pornography. What they're getting, the volume that they're getting, um, it just makes it a super drug that you just could not have been conceived of back in the day. Um, today, the average age of the first internet porn exposure mm-hmm. is between 8 and 10. Wow. So we're, we're talking a, a second or third grader or a third or fourth grader? Fifth wow, grader. yeah. So... You know, we're hesitant to have the talk, mm-hmm. and there's a really good chance that your fourth grader has already been exposed to graphic internet pornography. And so we've got to start really, really, really early. And, 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 and it's not necessarily just giving them a porn talk. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's the, our whole way that we have, especially within, and I'm kind of coming from a Christian perspective, in Christian homes, uh, we've done such an, a, a horrific job of handling sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the, the Voldemort of the Christian home. It's that which must not be named. <laughs> and we, because you'll see... You'll see, we'll watch a TV and there'll be a program on and guys are getting blown up and they're getting shot and we're just, we're just eating our popcorn with our kids and watching the movie. Right. But it's... if the side of one <laughs> breast is shown, we lunge in front of our child like it's the most horrible thing. Um, and we just simply ignore the topic mm-hmm. um, until it's too late. And... We we are we it's sex becomes very taboo. It's never talked about. Um, so you have this child that has really no information about sex. It's treated as this ultra secret taboo topic, which just makes you want to know even more about it. Right. And so we're really setting up these young boys primarily, even mm-hmm. though one third, one in three. Uh, children looking at porn or girls, so which is staggering yeah. to me. Um, it, it's un, it's unheard of, uh, actually. Mm. So uh, we're just setting these boys up on a platter mm-hmm. to the porn industry, so that the so that pornography teaches them about sex instead of uh, parents teaching them, uh, biblical principles teaching them. Right. Um, the cool thing would be for sex to be normalized in our homes from birth mm-hmm. um, so that it's not this uh, untalked about. It's it, They know what it is. They know mom and dad have sex, mm-hmm. that mom and dad love having sex. Uh, what sex is is between a man and a woman uh, married. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about loving somebody else. I would love it for our children to be comfortable with what sex is and how it works within a loving marriage and family and then get exposed to pornography on a bus in the fifth grade and go, well, that's not sex. Yeah. I mean, they're not shocked by it. They know mm-hmm. what it is and they're just going, well, that's sort of gross. Those people don't even know each other. Um, right. That's not the purpose of what sex is. So we sort of headed off at the pass mm-hmm. because now the in 2018, um, the latest, largest research study was that all American males between ages 20 and 29, so all 20-year-olds, 82% are looking at hardcore porn weekly. And that is almost at addictive levels. So if you have a high schooler, if you have a junior higher, if you have a late elementary, uh, it's kind of like, you know, your kid's saying, I'm going to go to the party, mom, you know, I'm going to be the designated driver. No, they're not no. Right. Mom and dad, they're not the driver. They're not the only one not doing it. Um, you know, you. it's an old saying. It's true. You know, we are who, you know, our kids are who their friends are. And yeah. their friends are looking at pornography. Mm-hmm. And if their friends are looking at pornography, which they are, they are. Um, and you may say, well, they don't have opportunity. They don't. Yes, they find it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know we were trying to be very judicious about having some of the programs 
to help mm-hmm. restrict yes. access to things on our phones and, and our computers at home, then they weren't able to access things that they needed for school. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like there was always, you know, these things that come up that cause yep. you to have to adjust. But then you realize just being on the bus a kid that doesn't have those restrictions is yes. showing them whatever they want to show them. Exactly. So I do recognize that it's not just about putting up those restrictions, but it's about really teaching them. Mm-hmm. Because you, you can't. Right. You can't keep it out. And the more we know about the, the, the devastating effects of pornography, and people hear that and they just kind of almost inwardly roll their eyes like, Okay, it's not a good thing. It's quote unquote sinful. But come on, it's just sex. What's the big deal? And that's sort of like in the 1800s taking Dr. Barbasol's cocaine toothpaste. I mean, there are things back then, you know, putting marijuana in the cough syrup. Uh, science didn't know back then that probably. You know, cocaine elixir for children was not a... Now we know. Now we know it's not a good thing. Uh, right. We, here are Chesterfield cigarettes, you know, specifically designed for asthma. Now we know that that's not good. Scientifically, we know what's going on now. Mm-hmm. And scientifically, we know what's going on now with pornography. And it's not a moral... Th- yes, it is, but... It's more than that. It's so much more than that. Right. And we just don't... We, when we talk about the devastating impact of pornography, again, most of us think of it in a moral sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the brain is being physiologically changed. Uh, kids who are exposed to pornography, and the three words are consistently, frequently, over a long duration. Mm-hmm. Their brains are physically different than someone who is not looking at pornography. Their reward center is smaller. The size wow. of it is smaller. And because it doesn't have a capacity to feel pleasure, mm. it's almost dopamine resistant. Um, and That's the, crazy what you watch is yes. having that impact. You can see now, if we look at the brainstem like it's the engine you know, of our brain, and the, the, the reward center mm-hmm. is, is sort of the accelerator. That the reward center is, is that primitive part of the brain that's wanting us to survive. And so there's a calorie-rich food, these cookies. I think I'll have 43. <laughs> well, no, you know, and, and it's, oh, there's a good-looking girl. I think I'll jump on her and mate with her and pass my genes along to the next generation. That's what our... Our reward center, this primitive part of the brain, is telling us to do. Mm-hmm. But unlike beluga whales and Shetland ponies, we have a prefrontal cortex, which stops us. It's the braking system. So if the brain stems the engine, the reward center is the accelerator. Our prefrontal cortex is the braking system. Okay. That says, well, yes, I might jump on that 23-year-old. Not good. There's a lot of not good things that could happen if I did that. Mm-hmm. Maybe one cookie is better. Mm-hmm. That's why we have this part. That's what literally sort of makes us human and separates us out is we have this breaking system. What we know now from looking at pornography consistently, frequently over a long duration is the brakes have worn out. Mm. There's a, and I can't find the video, but there's a, there's a video of a live MRI on a porn addict and 
when he begins looking at pornography, you see the blood being directed out of the prefrontal cortex and mm. into the reward center. You can see addiction happen. He's taking his foot off of the brake wow. and he's putting it onto the accelerator. And if you do that long enough, it takes more and more and more and more and more. Right. To You're feel never it, satisfied. Like any yeah. addiction. Mm-hmm. And so it takes more and more. The brain is always looking for that which is unique and different uh, and special. There's a thing called, um, it was an old study that was pretty famous. Uh, the guy came up with this, um, uh, with the idea of super normal. Mm-hmm. And he took butterflies and he took the female butterflies and he made cardboard replicas. And he made them just a little larger and the color pattern just a little more vivid. And when he l- released all the butterflies in the cages, the males all tried to mate with the cardboard butterflies with the females right there. The real thing they was right the there. Fake thing. And they yeah. ignored it, mm-hmm. which is why someone who looks at porn mm. over a long period of time, uh, his wife can never satisfy because she's always normal. I don't care if you install a stripper pole, it's right. your wife doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. We're setting the, these young men are being set up. Their brains are being set up uh, for long-term problems. And you try to if if you tell a fifteen-year-old right that porn is going to ruin his marriage, you might as well say, "Oh, we're going to dock your four hundred one k." I mean, their brains uh-huh. don't even think in those terms. It's all into immediate gratification. Right. So what do we do? We tell them. You ask them the question. Well, you want it to work, don't you? Mm. That's the question to ask, because back uh, before 2010, the percentage of, I want to say 30-year-olds and down, so 20-year-olds and teenagers, Mm -hmm. the percentage of young males, let's say, with erectile dysfunction was basically 0%. Okay. Today, it's approaching 20%. Wow. 20% of 20-year-olds, teenagers, cannot achieve an erection to have intercourse because of how much pornography that they have viewed. And I, in the office here in our sexual addiction Mm. program, you hear it over and over and over again. They can't perform. And their libido is dropping. Wow. Teenagers are having less sex today than ever. And so you go, oh my gosh, isn't that great? That would be a good thing. No, no that's not a good thing. Because of the why. Yes, because they don't want it. Wow. Because porn is perfect. There's a thing called an arousal template that pornography over a long time sets your arousal template. The type of body, the, the, the different acts, the scenarios, you create what is arousing to you and it becomes very, very, very much set in stone. And that's another thing that your wife can never be. Mm-hmm. And so porn is perfect. So when you turn it on, you very quickly get to your arousal template. You mm-hmm. find the exact sex, uh, the exact race, the exact age, the exact body type, the mm-hmm. exact sex acts that you find the most, all very quickly. And over time, that becomes so set that anything other than that, you don't necessarily find all that arousing. And that's why you'll have teenagers that are wanting to have sex with teenage girls, which is the the largest genre of porn out there, uh, and they can't do it without Mm -hmm. thinking of uh, imagining pornographic scenes in their mind. So 
where is there help? Um, it's hard even for people to understand. Uh, many, many people can't get past that pornography is not about sex. 93, I want to say this. So what would you say pornography is about? It's about violence. Mm. Uh, it is about sexual assault. Over 90% of all pornographic scenes involve the woman being hit in some mm. capacity, whether slapped or whatever. And if an eight-year-old begins seeing this to the tune of tens of thousands <sighs> right. of hours, then they start believing violence is a part of sexuality. Young girls are being taught, well, I, I guess I need to learn to like being slapped because uh -huh. that's part of the deal, apparently. Mm. So it, it's, it, it just gives them a very, very, very perverted view of what sexuality is. Mm -hmm. And then it's very hard to get out of that arousal template right. uh, when it's over with. Uh, I had a lady who shared in her Al-Anon meeting that she was really concerned because her teenage boy... Uh, football player uh, mm -hmm. at a school here. Uh, this was the fourth time that they they found him sneaking around and looking at porn. Two women approached her and negatively commented that she must have a problem with sex. Oh wow! Because you know porn she is just okay sex education, mm. and that is cocaine cough syrup for children. Right. They have a very ignorant, non scientific non-research based view of what pornography is pornography is is drastically harmful mm. and you said help yeah i would urge all of your listeners to go to heart excuse me brainheartworld.org mm -hmm. no periods or commas just brainheartworld.org okay. it's put out by a group called fight the new drug mm -hmm. and if you want just empirically based research. This is nobody's opinion. Okay. This is just empirical research. Fight the new drug. Um, you can follow them on Twitter or Facebook or just go to their website. All the information is there. Um, but they put out how a 30-minute video on how pornography impacts the brain. Okay. How it will all but prevent relationships in the future mm. and how it's impacting the world. For example, I want to say last year there was like 4.3 billion hours of pornography that was viewed worldwide mm -hmm. in one year. And so 53,000 years worth of pornography was viewed in one year on wow, one staggering. website. On one website. And there is a worldwide consequence to that. Mm -hmm. It's free. Um, I think you have like seven days to view all three of them, but you can for free. Mm -hmm. That's a good place to start. Okay. Because if you catch your kid looking at porn and he's going, what's the problem? It's not a big deal. Everyone's doing it. Show him that. Okay. Because it is a big deal. And yeah. it's a big deal for a lot of reasons. There is no way to know whether the woman you see in that porn video is sex trafficked or not right. you don't know because pimps will take sex trafficked women and farm them out to these shoots mm. uh and well no look they're, they're having a good time you can say yes mm. because if they don't look like they're having a good time mm -hmm. they'll be beaten 
Uh, they won't be given any money for food. Um, mm. It's pornography is the most false thing. Yeah. I, and it's the exact, it's the antithesis uh, of what sex, love, commitment, mm-hmm. intimacy uh, is all about. And you primarily work with adolescents in your practice. Is that right? Um, not really. I mean, we we have a lot here. I, I don't personally work okay. with very many teenagers now at all. I've really sort of moved into you the sexual You aged out of that? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I... So I work in the sex addiction area okay. uh, of what we do here at the Timothy Center. But our center does work a lot with adolescents. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we're excited about, um, just to take this opportunity to make a shameless plug. Go for it. That's why you're here today. Is, is starting in January, we're going to start offering groups for problematic porn use in teenagers. Wow. So because if a parent does... Mm-hmm. It's my fourth time to find we've put every kind of block and uh, he gets around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we take it away, he gets very sullen, very angry. Uh, there's a problem. Right. Um, then there's some place to go because we're going to have groups. It's going to last for um, 12 weeks uh, and we're going to get into all of it and help them. It, it, as opposed to what we do now in our sexual addiction, uh, working with these men, it's like we're building a hospital at the bottom of the cliff. Sure. It's like, how about let's let's build a roadblock before they mm-hmm. fall off the cliff. So that's great. That's sort of the idea behind getting in and working with these kids, because back to marijuana, pornography is the gateway drug of sexual addiction. Yeah. Uh, every sexual predator, uh, every person that gets into really sort of perverted paraphilias, I mean, all the people exposing themselves. Every one of those people started as a child. Most of them were exposed very young mm. to pornography. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it, it never stops. Just like any other drug, right. it doesn't stop there. It moves on to other things because, again, your reward center needs more and more and more sure. uh, to get the same buzz. And where can people get more information on that? TimothyCenter.com. Okay. Um, again, we're not there yet, but it'll be offered uh, in January. Uh, and so we're pretty pumped about it because there's a huge need. There is a huge need. What do you see as other um, areas of concern right now going on with with most uh, adolescents? For me, one of the scariest things is is the level of entitlement that exists today. Mm. And you know, you're working with you know, you're talking with moms of athletes. Uh, yes. Athletes can be the single most entitled group of young men on the planet. Uh, I tell people all the time. Do you speak as a former athlete? Well, obviously, (laughs) you can just look at my physique and tell that. Uh, I was, yes, I played football. My my son Uh uh, was taps, but he was all state. Um, So this is coming from a football family. Okay, great. And... I tell people you could be the best piccolo player in North America and no one would give a rat's rump. Mm. If you're second team football at a large Texas high school, mm-hmm. you are God incarnate. Mm. Uh, and th- th- a lot of these athletes begin believing their own press. Right. Uh, one kid came in here and he transferred in. He was a pretty good running back. Uh-huh. Uh, to one of the upper echelon high schools here in town. 
And the first week, he was known to be new. He was known to be the new running back. Um, he had girls' panties in his locker. Oh. People had, girls had put uh, slips of paper with their numbers and what they would do for him through the little slots in his locker. Um, what does a young man do with that? Wow. Um, so the, the expectations on them of them being special mm. and deserving of teachers giving them a break on their grades um, begins to go to their heads. And some of these sports parents, sports dads, sports moms that feed that entitlement yeah. because when their kid doesn't play, they scream at the coach. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, entitlement uh, is a huge issue with teenagers today. There's a great book uh, called... Um, it's called The Price of Privilege by Madeline Levine. Okay. Uh, and it is unbelievable. Uh, we now know the upper middle class and better kids that come from those homes have higher instances of depression, suicide, drug use. Um, and that is that is completely opposite of the way it used to be. It's so crazy because you live your life wanting to give your kids yes. all those things that you you know you want to bless them, you yeah. want to set them up to succeed, mm-hmm. and to think that that could then have a negative impact on yeah. them. So when today, you know, there used to be a set of high schools ten years ago, fifteen years ago, that if a kid came in from that school, we our ears perked up because they would be at risk. Mm-hmm. Now, if they walk in here from Westlake, Lake Travis, or one of the private schools, our mm-hmm. ears perk up because they're now considered an at-risk population. Wow. Affluent kids. Um, and it's because they they haven't really developed this sense of self because parents are driving them so hard that it's the parents driving them. It isn't the kid driving themselves. And if it requires mom to beat them over the head to do their homework, after a while they begin to think, Hey, unless someone's beat me over the head, I'm not capable of doing my own homework. Um, it's hard to know yeah. how to do this mm-hmm. right. I gotta tell yeah. you, because you either feel like you're doing too much or not enough. Like it feels like it's there's never one day where it's like that's yes. the exact yes. right. I had this one guy real quickly. So I'm sure you got to get out of here. But he said he came in with his wife, and he says, "Okay, do I push my son? His son was a quarterback. Uh-huh. Do I push my son too hard? Absolutely, I do." Uh, guilty as charged. Mm-hmm. Uh, but everybody understands how special he is. So yes, I work out with him before practice, and then we do agility stuff after practice. Mm-hmm. And yes, I do hire privately a position coach to work with him on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I do that. But he has the physical ability. He has the work ethic. He just has the innate talent to go as far as he can go. So you have to understand, I'm I'm doing what is necessary to maximize what this kid is is capable of. His son was nine years old. Stop it. Mm. Wow. Mm. So, you know, at some point, our kids have to drive their lives. Sure. And if that is not... In in, uh, the book I wrote with Barna in 2017, Fearless Mm -hmm. Parenting, you know, we start by saying, okay, listen, your child is not going to play professional sports. They're just not. <laughs> They're just not. Just breathe that in. You know, they have a better chance of winning the lottery. Oh, wow. Um, now, your chances get a little better going to Lake Travis. Mm-hmm. 
in Westlake because people move there specifically. True. Bringing their athletes mm-hmm. to that school. Yes. Which is whatever it is. Texas is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the odds are astronomical. Right. And yet these families are selling their souls. Yeah. For this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your child's not going to go to Harvard. Just to, just statistically, it's not going to happen. If your child plays any sport in college, there's something like 30 million children of sports playing ages, children. Right. And 20% of those will be playing any sport in high school. So 80% never play a sport once they get high school age. So your child is already an enormous success if they're just playing ball Mm. in high school. Um, But if the kid is there and they want it, you know, you talk to uh, Colt McCoy's dad, you talk, you know, I listened to Troy Aikman about growing Mm -hmm. up. Their parents weren't driving them. Yeah. It wasn't dad making them get up and making them go to the gym. It was their life. Right. And it's just something they... And they play baseball and they play basketball. Uh-huh. They play, right, you know, multiple sports. Yeah. yeah. Now you've got kids throwing a baseball from age five. Mm-hmm. And they're playing year-round baseball. Right. No wonder they're having Tommy John surgery as a freshman in high school. Yes. So it's just like, mom and dad, stop. Would mm-hmm. you just stop it? <laughs> it, it? Let them be a child, have fun, compete. Mm-hmm. Work really, really, really hard to do the absolute best you can. But success in life is not measured by whether you go to a D1 school or not. It simply isn't. Yeah. And if you think it is, I sort of feel sorry for you. Right. I don't, I, that doesn't bother me. I'm just needing the scholarships. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. The cash I need. Yes. Because they also don't pay for piccolo players like they do I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, a wide receiver gets a little more. <laughs> so if there was one just tip that you would give to moms today as we're kind of winding down, what would it be? Um, especially moms. Mm-hmm. Because moms, moms are the ones that set the attachment style in a mm. child, whether they feel securely attached or not. And sometimes, because I did... We get caught up in the season. And sometimes us being proud of our child, us withholding affection from our child, mm. is based on whether they win or lose. Oof. And so, especially moms, yeah. that child has to know mm-hmm. whether they are 15th team, right. uh, whether they caught the winning touchdown, whether they missed the winning field goal, or whether... They carry the water for the pep squad. <laughs> yeah. You adore them. Yeah. And you love them and that you're proud of them. Mm-hmm. And their performance. Coaches may love them because of their performance. Right. You have to love them because of simply who they are at a genetic level. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have to perform for you. That's great. That's such a great reminder. I will say my kids are kind of at that age where they're like, oh, you have to say that you're my mom, you know, and I feel like I remember that with my mom as well. But it is such a it's such a pleasure to be able to be a mom and to love a kid, regardless if they if they caught the pass or they didn't. Yeah. 
Um, but thank you so much for sharing some of your years of wisdom Absolutely. with us today. You are a delight. And just tell us again the book that you wrote. Oh, in, in called Fearless Parenting, mm-hmm. uh, co-authored with George Barna. Uh-huh. Uh, and we just, the second edition of the first book I did, Toe to Toe with Your Teen. Nice. Which is about an oppositional defiant teenager. Okay. Um, uh, that's in its uh, second edition. So that was just out this past couple months. Fantastic. Well, thank you. And I hope our listeners are able to take advantage of some of the awesome resources you have. Thank you kindly. Absolutely. I know life is busy, so thank you for spending time with us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment and rate us. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. You can always follow me on Instagram at Texas Football Mom. I'm Kathleen Estes, reminding you to find joy in whatever season you are in today and to always celebrate life's first downs.